Acts. They are important to what I want to talk about this morning. And in order to to kind of frame up this message, I, I want to go to the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12, and it's the story of the wise men. Matthew writes, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country, by another road. So I've always been kind of fascinated by the story of the wise men. The three kings, some people call them. The magi. Now, tradition maintains that there were three, although that's not directly supported by Scripture. The number three, however, is, is logical because of the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. So, Three fits the narrative really well, I think. And there's also no mention in scriptures of them being royalty, of them being kings. But when you look at the gifts that they gave, which were certainly worth a king's ransom, I think it's okay for us to make that association with them. If anything... They were people of great substance and wealth. But the one characteristic that I think is truly supported in the Bible is that they were wise, learned men. They had a knowledge of astronomy. They knew how to navigate by the stars. And they had this ability to discern what was truth and what was deception. They didn't buy into King Herod's wanting to know where the child was so that he could also go pay the child homage, they were, they were smarter than that. And that's why they didn't return to Herod once they had seen the Christ child. 
Now, in most of our households, if you have a nativity, tradition is that we put the wise men around the manger scene, worshiping the newborn Jesus, presenting their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh alongside the shepherds and the animals in the stable. And that's a nice image, isn't it? The lowly shepherds and the wealthy wise men worshiping together. And if you really want to get outside of Scripture, you can throw in a drummer boy. You want to do that. But that's all a nice image. But Scripture says that the wise men came along sometime later, maybe even a year or two later, and that time had passed between the birth of Jesus and the arrival of these wise men, these magi. Now, the thing that fascinates me the most about this story of the magi is their willingness to investigate the sign that was given to them, this star in the heavens, because they had a hunger for answers. They had a hunger for answers to the questions that were raised in their hearts and their minds by the appearance of this unfamiliar star in the heavens. And they had perseverance because they they traveled a great distance seeking the answers to questions that were rooted really for them in a foreign belief system. I mean, they were combing the scriptures, the old Jewish scrolls of the Torah, looking for answers. What does this star mean? And who is this Christ child, this, this king that's being born, this Messiah? Who is this? Remember, they weren't of that culture. They were in, from the far east. They, they were coming from outside their comfort zone. They were coming to something that they weren't familiar with. They had to be willing to think outside the box. They had to go against the grain. They had to live out on the edge. You get all of that. In order to gain knowledge and understanding that they were seeking. When you think about that, I wonder how many of us today have that kind of hunger to learn the truth? How many of us living in the world today have the willingness, the initiative to set out on a journey of discovery based simply on the signs that we've been provided signs that are given in scripture signs given in our own experiences with this thing we call grace did you know there are three types of grace provenient grace that's the grace that that god pours out on humanity just because he loves you and then there's justifying grace the kind of grace that you receive when you accept jesus as lord And then once that happens, there's sanctifying grace, which is when you, every day of your life, after you've accepted Jesus, become more and more and more like Christ. How do you know there are three kinds of grace? Well, like the wise men, you have to set out on a journey of discovery. You have to have a hunger to learn about the faith that you practice. How many of us have a working knowledge of those different types of grace or anything else really that we can find through studying the Bible? How many of us have, how many of us are even curious about the basic tenets of our faith? 
How many people out there in the culture today are willing to drive just down the street to their local church, let alone get on a camel or a donkey or a horse and ride thousands of miles to figure out who it is, this person, Jesus? This community, there is a church every few hundred yards. You know that to be true. Every one of them has a Bible study or two. All of them have Sunday school. All of them have more empty seats than they do occupied seats on any given uh, Sunday or any given Bible study. If every person in this community that needed to know Jesus decided one day to come to church, we'd need a bigger church. Every church in this community would have to be expanded to accommodate the number of people just in this area it would take to, to house them all for one Sunday if they all decided to come together. Well, I don't think we'll be building a bigger church anytime soon. That's just the reality, isn't it? But the thing is that all of us, every man, woman, and child believer and non-believer we were all created by God to be the magi these three guys here on the glass table those are those are us we are the magi our true nature is to hunger for knowledge and relationship of the God who created us that's how we were created whether we believe in a creator or not whether you believe it or not is irrelevant truth is absolute Our true nature is to seek Him out and to not be satisfied with the unanswered questions. When we follow our true nature, then we are the Magi. We're on the hunt for the truth. We're looking for the revelation of Christ in our lives. We're looking for the Epiphany. Did you know today was Epiphany Sunday? Epiphany, the the understanding of who He is and who we are in relationship to Him. We are all looking for epiphany. The light of understanding to penetrate the darkness of ignorance. The light of life that cuts through the darkness of the shadow of death under which we as a culture are existing until we know Christ. We are the magi whenever we seek Christ. Why is it important to seek Him? Well, if I were to constantly repeat myself and beat this dead horse, which I'm happy to do as many Sundays as you'll allow me to before you decide we get it, preacher, I want to jump ahead to Matthew 25 because this is the reason why we need to seek Jesus. We have to have this relationship with Him and we have to get as many people as possible, especially those that we care about, to be in relationship with Him because Matthew 25 tells us when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate people one for another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. If it makes you more comfortable, the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. 
And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we did all these things? And the king will answer them and say, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then you know the way the story goes. He addresses those on his left hand and he says, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink, etc., etc. And then they will also answer and say, When did we see you in these conditions and not do anything? And he'll answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, it's important, hear me now, it's important to take the initiative to seek Christ because not to seek Christ, not to know Christ, means spiritual death and eternal separation from God. It means unspeakable isolation and desolation. That's the inconvenient truth. That's, that's not the, the feel-good message that we would like to come to church for, but let's face it, if you don't know why you need a Savior, why would you ever seek Him? You need a Savior because of exactly what it says in Matthew 25. One day there will be a judgment, and which side of that judgment you end up on? We're all eternal beings. The question is, where will you spend that eternity? It's important to take initiative to seek Him because not to seek Him, not to know Him, means spiritual death. Revelation 21.8 But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But if we seek Him, hear this also, to seek Him means that we will find Him. And when we find Him, we find life and truth. Just to seek Him means that you will find Him. Revelation 21, 1-7 tells us what it will be like for those that seek Him. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. 
mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. It's like I was telling the kids up here this morning, we are at the start of a brand new year. And there are opportunities that are laid out before us, ones that we haven't even realized yet. But when they come and become apparent to us, if we will only take the initiative and act on it. One of the opportunities that Randy talked about when he was up here preaching last Sunday is an opportunity to commit. And so I want to I want to come alongside Randy and ask you to make the word commit part of your lifestyle this year. Commit to make seeking him a priority. Commit to involving Jesus in your life. Commit to studying His Word. Commit to sharing His message. Commit to equipping yourself to be a minister of the faith in this community. Commit to learning all you can about who He is and who you are and who you are when you're in relationship with Him. Commit to Bible study. Commit to church attendance above any and all other activities this year, whenever possible. Commit to serving others. Commit to putting Jesus in the center of everything. Commitment is covenant. There's a difference between commitment and making a resolution for your new year. Commitment is covenant. We worship God who is both a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. And if you commit to godly things, you are in covenant with God. And the thing about being in covenant with God is it, is it takes you and a relationship with God in order to be in covenant. But because we're human, we often fall short. But you know what? Because the covenant's with God, the covenant is never broken. Because the second you pick the covenant back up, God is there welcoming you back into the covenant. This is a remarkable thing. You can turn and run from God as fast and as hard as you can run. And the second you stop and turn around, there he is welcoming you back into the covenant. He's a covenant maker. And he's a covenant keeper. Now the thing I want to leave you with is Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. 
And I'm asking you to make this year, 2019, make it the time and the season for being committed to, being in covenant with God, for seeking God and abiding in His perfect will. You know, there's a lot of things that we say, it'll change your life, but I'm telling you, if you do that this year, you will see transformation in your own life, in the life of people that you care about around you, and in this whole community we call Shepherd. Make this the season and the time for commitment, for covenant. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.